0: Welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we're sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people, groups of the world. My name is Alex Winslade, and I work at Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand, and I'm joined by my co-host again.
1: My name is Esther, Esther Melody Smith. No, now Adams. Oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) Esther Melody Adams. And um, that just changed like three weeks ago. So... um, no, four. Oh my gosh, everything's new. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But anyway, uh, I am the lead singer of the band Eversmith. We've been musical ambassadors with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand for a long time now. And we are here with our special guest today. Introduce yourselves for us, please, Tove.
2: Hi, I'm Tove Rose. <laughs> and I've uh, kind of been around the world and I've few other things here and there, a bunch of things, for many, many years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to have you with us. We're really excited to have you and delve a bit more into your story. But we're going to start with a few icebreaker questions, or just a couple. And the first question that we have is, what is your favorite piece of Jewish trivia? Ah,
2: That's an easy one. There's an old saying in the Jewish community among our people. Uh, And it's because of uh, the events that happened at Passover and also the story of the Book of Esther. But many Jewish holidays and festivals since the days of antiquity kind of have a similar theme. It goes like this. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. (laughs)
1: I like that (laughs) they tried to kill us we won let's eat I love that so much that's awesome (laughs) I'm going to remember that forever (laughs) that's so cool Um, well my second one I guess kind of relates uh, if you're going to eat what would you choose if you could pick your last meal sushi Sushi,
2: okay, nice. I love, I love sushi. I, I, I did a tour in Japan back in the late '80s with with a band that I was with, and just fell in love with the culture and the food.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm quite yeah. partial to sushi as well. Do you have like a go to um, thing that you order, or is it kind of just random every time? You
2: no, know, I love unagi, and I, I, I love also uh, just salmon. Salmon is one of my favorites.
1: So good. yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love a bento box because you get so many different little things where you get to experience a variety of of goodness but um but man all sorts it's been a different experience for me because seafood in a landlocked state is not the same as seafood in New Zealand so (laughs) (laughs) um certainly I, I I miss this the sushi from New Zealand but grateful that Mm. I can still partake of some goodness every once in a while, you know?
2: Yeah. (laughs) I love it when I'm in, when I'm in San Francisco and go to a real sushi bar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's nice. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I should come and try it sometime. (laughs) Yes.
1: That would be awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess um, based on the first Asperger question, we've probably picked up um, your Jewish, um, it's part of your identity. So I guess as a Jewish believer who works with Native American Indian people and leaders, what sort of insights um, has that provided in terms of God and His Word and the Great Commission for you?
2: Nice big question, thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a lot to unpack,
2: but... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one of the things that really surprised me was how similar uh, Jewish culture and Middle Eastern culture in general are mm. Native American cultures. Uh, there's, it's really a culture. Middle Eastern cultures in general are cultures of honor, as are Native American cultures.
0: Mm.
2: Um, there are some differences, like um, Native American cultures are very quiet and more reserved, whereas Middle Eastern cultures, especially Jewish cultures, are very loud. <laughs> and and in in Native American cultures, yelling is actually a uh, sorry is actually a uh, uh, an act of war.
0: <laughs>
2: hmm. oh, so it's, it's been kind of a little bit of a learning curve for me to not to kind of curb my natural Jewish tendencies to be a loud mouth, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I
1: love that. <laughs> um,
2: so, but then there's also scriptural and let's say biblical concepts that are just inherently part of Native American culture. That mm-hmm. most people would just never never consider that they are um, so um, like uh, so the culture of honor, culture of love, family first. Family is a really big part of Jewish identity and Jewish culture. There's so mm-hmm. many similarities with family, uh, like Native American culture. There's no such thing as an orphan.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's just it's just a beautiful, beautiful cultural aspects. Um, they have a concept of God that. That uh, is very biblical. Very st- like the the native tribes, the the one the people that I know who are who grew up in a way that were not disconnected from traditional native culture, um, they are, uh, for the most part, Trinitarians. By, by Western standards, they they believe in a, in a single primary God. The same God, my people do. They, they believe they they believe in the Holy Spirit. They also, many of them have stories and they've experiences, dreams, and visions of a man in white, going back to days of antiquity. Wow! A man with his with holes in his hands. Wow! Yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of wild. when you read scripture and that whole concept of eternity written in people's hearts? Hey. Um and everyday creation speaking forth the truth of the gospel and because of just that we're without excuse and then you go visit all of these different people groups and you find these little glimpses into that that story. It's pretty amazing, hey. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: So with all of that, what drew you to uh Bible translation?
2: You know, uh, that's actually something that the Lord laid in my heart uh, when I first recommitted my life to Jesus in 1991. Okay. A, fr- a friend of mine introduced me to uh, to uh, Messianic music, Yeah. which I've never heard before. <laughs> you know, Jewish believers doing their Jesus-style music in a Jewish <laughs> way, <laughs> and... Um, Somebody else introduced me to uh, Dr. David Stern's uh, The Jewish New Testament, which was an original uh, translation of the New Testament that he did, and it was, uh, or it is, a a very, it highlights the Jewish flavor of the New Testament in ways that no other Bible translation did at the time. And I remember reading that and just that quick thought that pops through your head, like, I'd really love to do this kind of stuff one day. <laughs> and so that's, that was really the beginning of it. Um, and, then, and then there were just certain incidences that happened during my early, those early period. Uh, that, so I was, I was a, uh, a Bible, or excuse me, a pastoral intern with the congregation I was with, led by a Jewish believer in Jesus. And he would te- talk about some of the things the rabbis would say about Jesus, which made him sound like Jesus was God. Like the things right out of the Old Testament, out of Scripture. And then the, the similar verses in the New Testament, which confirmed those things. And, and it just put a desire in my heart to want to delve in deeper and reach or understand those things. And then share them once I knew them.
1: That's really cool. I remember one of the first churches that I visited in Nashville, it happened to be, um, I mean, we first moved here um, in February in 2012. um, And then we started visiting churches. And and so right toward the beginning, I think it must have been an early Easter that year. And so we went to a church and they had... um, a Messianic Jew talking about Passover and explaining more um, of the tradition of how Passover was practiced and all these different layers that I had never learned in my expression of those stories, Um, a a non-Jewish background, you know. And, And he explained some of the links between that stuff and it just heightened everything about Um, the Passover for me and understanding what it all meant but then also the link obviously intrinsically to what Jesus did for all of us Mm um yeah and so I I can totally relate to hearing stuff like that and being like oh my gosh I just wanted people to understand and, and and realize all the little nuggets and things that are here for us to be able to um Delve into and engage with and understand of what God has done for us, you know? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, those (laughs) two are, are, there's so, so much depth to them. And once you learn one thing, you think you can know it all. It turns out you don't. There's way more to
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) For (laughs) sure.
2: There's way more (laughs) to Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So just, um, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit more. So you kind of had it on your heart. From early on to kind of get involved in Bible translation, but then what sort of opened the door a bit later on to, or like was there an in between where you kind of just kind of had it on your heart but weren't really doing it? Like, what was that process kind of like? Well,
2: yeah, so I'll, I'll walk you through it. So yeah, it, it was in '93. I my uh, my pastor gave this message about, and I, I'm totally forgetting the scripture verse right now. Um, right. It's, it's one of the prophets, major prophets, where it's, it's it focuses on the Lord. The name of the name of the Lord, and it's the Lord your righteousness. Mm-hmm. whatever that. Is. <laughs> and and yeah. the, he he taught a sermon on how the rabbis and the Father use this. Or excuse me, Jesus the Messiah and the Father use the same name, the same divine mm-hmm. name. And uh, then there's a passage in the New Testament, in the book of John, where Jesus I says, said he, he was he's praying and says, "Thank you, Father, for the name which you shared with me." Mm-hmm. Your name, which I'm sharing with them, <laughs> talking about as disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of Toad's devised version, kind of summary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that kind of led me on a just a quest to kind of understand the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was in seminary, uh, starting in t- 2001, I had a seminary professor who was one of the top ten uh, Hebrew scholars in the world at the time.
1: Wow. Oh.
2: And, and he specifically focused on the vowel points, of okay. uh, the notation points in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, which are called the Masoretic points, pointing system. Uh, he was an honorary Masorete. He was the only non-Jewish person to ever be considered and honored to be a Masorete. Mm. Wow. Because, because of his love for their perspective and wanting to mm-hmm. understand how they influence the interpretation of the text. Even mm-hmm. English Bible translations, even right up to today. And, and so he and I would get into discussions about the difference between real translation, raw translation, uh, traditional translations of specific verses that Bible publishers won't, won't change because they're afraid of losing their audiences and offending people. <laughs> um, and so I, so he and I started having these conversations, um, and then also about the divine name. Uh, I got mm-hmm. into a conversation with him once and asked him, "Why or what How did the Masoretes, and why did the Masoretes choose the two different vowels or types or vowel?" Combinations for the divine name that they use in the Masoretic text. So there's two different well, Sometimes you you would say if you were to say it, it would be Yehovah. Uh, another other times, a minor, minority of times, it would be Yehovah, But nobody does that. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he said, nobody knows the answer to that question. Hmm. Nobody ever researched it. And I said, and I looked at him. I said, huh, I'm going to research that. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, nice. <man. laughs> I just knew I, I had to be the one to do it. And and so that began my process of just really studying the traditional translation of verses compared to mm-hmm. what uh, other Bible scholars were actually presenting to the publishers that weren't weren't getting published, as well as this theology or doctrine of God from a Masoretic perspective and try and get to the root. What were they actually doing? So that's mm-hmm. what that's what inspired me.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, Yeah. So if you could tell us a bit more, what is the Ezra method and how did you learn about that? The Ezra method,
2: yeah. (laughs) Okay. So during that time period, I had been, uh, thanks to to, uh, my professor, I was looking at ancient translations and, and I noticed a pattern with how they translated the Bible and how it was different from other modern translations. Uh, so he introduced me to the Targums. And the Targums, the, the history uh, in the Jewish community says that they go back, the original Targums were done by Ezra the scribe, the one talked about in the Bible is a book named mm-hmm. after him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that he purposely uh, translated into Aramaic the Hebrew text, because the majority of the people who came with him from Babylon did not know Hebrew, but they knew Aramaic. And he's also the ones who set who, who set up the synagogue system as an educational center to teach the Jewish community the Bible, both in Aramaic and in Hebrew. Uh, to the Jewish community, he's known as the Second Moses.
1: Mm-hmm. Because well, of how... Well, and it was amazing that period of time with Ezra and Nehemiah because they had read the scriptures again and and did... I remember recently reading through those books and being like, man, it had been such a long time before they had actually followed the law correctly. And there's so many little points where it's like, never since the days of blah, blah, blah had this been done. Um, So it's quite amazing Mm -hmm. how they had that revival and... um, um, re- just reinvigoration of of what God had already given them. Insane, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So I, so I was, I was as I'm researching this, and I'm again, thinking along those lines <laughs> what you just described, what they were encountering. It, it, I realized they were reintroducing the stories of our own people back to our people. Yeah. And he was doing it in such a way that he wasn't just doing a pure word-for-word translation, he was mixing commentary with the translation so that they understood how to properly interpret the Hebrew Bible when they read it. it. And it hit me, it's like, wait, why don't modern translations do this? Why, why is it, is, is it because there's a, it would cause offense? Is it because it's not, it's considered an impure way to do it? Uh, there, there are lots of reasons why. But it just kind of, it just dawned on me that especially when I started building a relationship with my native friend, American friends, this is a story, these are story different cultures. They really identify with the stories of my people, the Jewish people. And there are many of those stories that are the same or very similar. Wouldn't it make sense to do a Bible translation that, first of all, doesn't focus on the New Testament, which is theologically driven, introducing Jesus? Many of them actually have a concept of Jesus already, and they've been highly offended and persecuted by what they perceive as a white European Jesus. Mm-hmm. So there's a defense and a stumbling block already. Wouldn't it make more sense to introduce the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish Bible in an Ezra-style translation that takes the conclusions, understanding, and perspective of God that the New Testament writers already wrote and put it back into the Old Testament the way Ezra already showed us how to do it? And, and it wasn't just Ezra, it was also the Septuagint. They also do something very similar with, that, with the Greek mm-hmm. word, with that Koine Judeo-Greek language. So, like, for example, um, there, there are many times in the Old Testament, and Ezra, in the Targum translations, where it identifies... The word of God as being the active person in creation who is doing things, talking to people, performing miracles. Wow. While God the Father sits up on his throne, never leaves his throne, and never gets up.
1: Wow. Uh-
2: What's why are we not incorporating this into modern old tra- modern Old Testament translations into other languages? Because that's exactly the kind of theology that the New mm. Testament teaches.
1: Well, it's <laughs> really interesting because then I guess it links it much more directly to when Jesus says things like, "I am, um, I am the door, and I am the bread of life, and I am uh, all of His I am statements." Those Mm -hmm. those factors that where he's raising these concepts and talking about you can only come through him and I am the Word um, and how John sets up the whole of the book Mm -hmm. where he's like in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and all of that Um, yeah yeah yeah, let me um, make
2: a yeah yeah Yeah, it's okay so there have been some some research papers, and and actually at least one book that I know of, maybe two, that have talked about the Gospel of John. Yeah. The Gospel of John is written to a Targum reading, a Targum familiar audience.
1: Wow. Interesting. Interesting.
2: and, you know, even in the Jewish, in, in some Jewish communities today, like in Yemenite, some of the Yemenite congregations, and also uh, Sephardic congregations as well. So there's two basic different branches of Judaism. So there Jewish people. There's the Ashkenazi European Jews and the Sephardic, which are Middle Eastern Mediterranean Jews. So the but the, so the Sephardic Jewish communities, they still in many of their congregations they read Targum, then they read Torah, Moses and then they read Targum again, Hmm. exactly what they did in the days of Jesus. So, you read the Targum first so that you understood the passage you're about to read in Hebrew, then you read the Hebrew, then you read the Targum again so that you would have a proper understanding to reinforce what Moses said.
1: Hmm. Wow. Random pieces of information that you just don't know when you're not functioning in the Hebrew world, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, super yeah. cool. Um, well, uh, that that's amazing and really interesting. And I I'm I personally am like, wow. I want to dig into that and find out more about it and understand more about it and. I'm like, okay, this is a, a realm of things that I've never really dug into. So it's it's super interesting to hear you talk about it, and it sparks a lot of thoughts in my mind. Um, but moving, know, kind of. Is oh, sorry, what was that?
2: It's not that difficult to understand the concepts either.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's it's not like I mean, you just everything you're saying it makes connections for me. It's just like, oh wow, this is this is just cool stuff that's triggering a whole bunch of thought in my mind, you know? Um, But kind of moving away from that, our next question is, um, how has your involvement at the International House of Prayer impacted your perspective on being a joyful house of prayer for the nations?
2: Good question. Well, in a lot of ways, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City is kind of ground zero, (laughs) for the expression of of houses of prayers of the earth yeah i mean there there have been other houses of prayer and places of prayer throughout history you know like uh in in germany there was there was a there was a group of people at Hernhut who who prayed for 200 years there, there are these there are these things that have happened um i have one of the things that I really value about the International House of Prayer here in Kansas City is they're focused on knowing Jesus, interacting with Jesus, interacting with the Father, interacting with the Son, interacting with the Spirit, growing in love with our bridegroom.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's something that I th- I've... I mean I've, I've preached at hundreds and hundreds of churches all kinds of different denominations over the years and there are there it's it's really a tendency of, of normal people to get sidetracked with other issues of life and to not spend time actually getting to know the person That we are going to be spending eternity with as if he is a spouse and that's that is that is something that the international house of prayer really focuses on as a message that i really connect with cool and and oh my gosh what's more joyful than a than a spouse learning about your other your spouse. You <laughs> know, a wife yeah. learning about her husband or husband learning about his wife. You could probably speak to that after about four weeks, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and definitely, um, you know, when Jesus is talking to the people, he's like, um, away from me I never knew you and that kind of speaks to this two-way thing because he doesn't say you never knew me but it's I never knew you so that kind of opens and gives us this hint to a two-way kind of back and forth relational element that's deep and close and really precious and and so I love that concept of of having the the bridegroom and, and and knowing Jesus in, in that way as, as a priority. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I feel that when you have that priority, um, speaking of, you know, house of prayer for the nations, Jesus is the one who was totally lit up in the temple about the house being a, a house of prayer for the nations. Like his heart yeah. is that his, his church, his bride would be nation-centric, where it's like... Yeah, we love the nations. We're praying for the nations. We're believing for the nations. We want to see a harvest in the nations. We want to see the nations come into their fullness of life, you know, and um, so I appreciate that answer in that sense because, yeah, when you when you do come back to that core of, well, yeah, this is actually our bridegroom and he, this is his heart and we are focusing on knowing his heart, then that's basically always going to be the outcome, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. There, there, you know, amazingly enough, there's, that's another similarity right there between um, Jewish culture, uh, what Micah Bickel and the International House of Prayer have established here, and Native Americans also. Wow. Like, the, I, surprisingly, <laughs> that's a connection, the House of Prayer thing. Yeah. The, the um so the uh, the first temple Solomon's Temple was dedicated as a house of prayer for all nations groupable mm-hmm. when he rebuilt the house and laid the foundation they dedicated it as a house of prayer for all nations mm-hmm. uh, Ihop's vision is to create houses of prayer and to inspire from Kansas City a house of prayer for all nations yeah. The the original inhabitants of North America, especially the Dakota Nation, which which at its biggest, at its 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 legal land grant at this moment, <laughs> is actually from Mexico City to the Arctic Circle, wow. to the Rocky Mountains to the Great Lakes. It's half of North America. Wow. and they have this perspective that everything under their sky is their house. Mm. So maybe they're walking outside, outside of a tent, outside of a whatever building, they're still in their house. And their house is a house of prayer mm. for all nations.
1: Mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Really cool connection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: (laughs) I love the way that
0: understanding sort of someone else's culture can even just enrich the way we understand (laughs) our relationship with God. Because, you know, we can apply that, you know, we're not just going to pray in specific buildings. Like, (laughs) you know, our lives, wherever we are, can be a a house of prayer, per se. Um, Yeah, so I think it's just so cool when you, you know, hear something from someone else's culture that just enriches the way you understand life in relation to God.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, And one more piece to that. I know my, my, one of my friends, he's a, he's a native significant native leader. And he, he he, t- he says that they teach in his culture that every step you take is intercession for both the land for the, and the people of the land that uh-huh. you are walking through.
1: Wow. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really beautiful and really interesting. I actually, a friend of mine, um, He is a pastor in a church in Arizona. He created um, these little tags and it says, pray for every church you drive by. And it's like Mm -hmm. on an air freshener. Um, And he just put out a call saying like, oh, Anyone out there want one of these air fresheners? And I was like, Yeah, I'll take one. And oh, um, and I drive for Lyft, which I've mentioned in previous um, in previous podcasts. It's like how one of the ways that I support myself. But um, <laughs> the amount of people that just that tag of pray for every church you drive by, <laughs> it started conversation with. I mean, the amount of people who are like, churches need prayer. And I'm like, "Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, they do. Um, But then it it gets people thinking about what else that they could pray for. And Mm. that concept, um, when you tell people, I mean, oh, my gosh, my family have been praying. um, We're actually going to share soon about our practice of doing um, praying for Five Nations every podcast, which can't flows from a concept that my family has done for pretty much my entire life of praying for different nations. And um, there have been people who have come into my car and they'll be from some remote nation and I'll say, oh, I've been praying for your nation every year of my life. And they're like, floored by this thing of someone praying and so having that idea of every step you take is intercession for the land and and for the people that's so beautiful and I can't Mm -hmm. imagine how impactful it would be you know if you're walking that out with the spirit of God like heavy on you you know so that's Mm -hmm. cool yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well it's been
0: really cool to just hear more about what um on your heart and what you do, Tove. Um, could you tell us a bit about how people can support you in that?
2: Yeah. Well, there's yeah, totally. Uh so my website, uh ToveRose.com, t-o-v-r-o-s-e.com Uh, there's I've got uh links for my books. There's hundreds of articles that I've written on various topics, mostly Bible. <laughs> Um, there's a there's a giving page at, at tovros.com to support what we're doing uh, both here in Kansas City among Native Americans and also around the world uh, there, there are some things I'm, I'm involved with even in the Middle East um, mm-hmm. as far as Bible translation and research and and also encouraging uh, believers in the Middle East um, there's also a link right on my homepage. Uh, to the research project that I'm involved with at the moment, which uh, will be impacting Bible translation in the future. Um, mm-hmm. It's the Institute of Midrashic Studies of the New Testament, which is a really big, confusing word for people who don't understand the words. <laughs> so, Midrash is, is just uh, Jewish Bible interpretation techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the New Testament is filled with midrash that has never been fully documented. And so I am involved with the Institute of Midrashic Studies of the New Testament that's nt as a new testament midrash.com. It's founded co-founded by an orthodox Jewish man who is a former member of the Israeli Knesset a, a member of the Likud party, you know Benjamin Netanyahu's party and uh, and also a an evangelical believer who's a friend of mine named Dr. David Pitcher, and uh, Dr. Pitcher was doing some research and stumbled across the fact that the Apostle Paul used Midrashic her, her, hermeneutics in his letters. So, right, while writing mm-hmm. his letters, he did Bible commentary on. <laughs> 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 Uh, So, seven of the Apostle Paul's letters are Bible commentary on seven Old Testament books. Interesting. Which you can see through Jewish Bible interpretation techniques that we are documenting with the Institute. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, cool. We'll make sure to include uh, those links for people to check out in the description so that everyone can go and find out more about what you're doing and more about this super interesting um, research project that you're involved in and, and hopefully support and get involved. It's amazing. Um, so as I previously mentioned, we do have a practice of praying for five nations every time we get together. Um, we this week are praying for Estonia, Eswatini, Ethiopia, Falkland Islands and Faroe Islands and we would love to have you pray for us, for these nations. Please, Tov, that would be awesome.
2: Oh, amen. Abba <laughs> Bishamayim, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for these people, these cultures, for the indigenous people among these people in these cultures. Uh, and Father, I ask that you would do what you do best, send them signs, send them wonders, send them dreams, send them visions, raise up others from from among them and also from outside to come in and to share the truth about Jesus, about how you want to be reconciled to each and every member of humanity and each and every one of these nations. Father, I pray for Estonia. My son has a friend, dear friend who is in that country. I ask you, Father, I know the difficulty that he is going through, and I've heard stories specifically about the difficulties and the troubles that most of the Western world doesn't hear about. I ask you, Father, to meet, to meet his needs and the needs of his family and those that they know and, and use them even to impact the rest of their culture in that, in that country, Father. And Father, for for these others, I I thank you and praise you that you are a God who doesn't leave anybody without without the opportunity to to come into a relationship with you. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I I ask you, Father, uh, turn hearts, do everything possible, even to the stoniest of hearts, to give them the opportunity and to give them an opportunity to soften their hearts so that they come into proper relationship with you and your son and your spirit. And I ask this through Yeshua, our Messiah, Jesus, our Messiah.
1: Mm. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. I think yeah. we just lost Alex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure where she went, but uh, I will just share with you all that we will have our next episode next month and we're super excited about that. If you guys would like and comment and share and c- click the subscribe button and all of those great things, it's super helpful for us in getting the work of Bible translation and the word of God out to as many people as possible. It's been so awesome to have you today, Tove. We loved getting to hear about what you're doing and what your heart is all about. And um, well, hopefully we'll get to talk to you more another time. yeah Uh, we hope you all have a great week month year all of the things and thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today bye thank you